So we thank God that he's real. Stand with me for the reading of a verse, would you? John 15, verse 12. I'm going to talk to you today about how to be a friend of God. For the last three times we've been talking about friendship. Today, how to be a friend of God. Now look what Jesus said in John 15, 12. Very interesting. This is out of the Living Bible. And um, I'm just trusting that you can follow along if you're in some other version. Of course, they're all living. John 15, 12. Jesus said, I demand that you love each other as much as I love you. And here is how to measure your love. The greatest love is shown when a person lays down his life for his friends. Now listen to what he closed with. And you are my friends. You are my friends if you obey me. Now he goes on and says, I no longer call you servants, for a master doesn't confide in his servants. Now you are my friends. For all things I have heard from my Father, I've made known to you. Now I want you to catch, this is very powerful. This is the red ink. Jesus said, you are my friends. We have the ability, the capacity the privilege, the challenge, the opportunity to not just look up at Him and say, I worship You, Almighty God. I thank You that You're my Savior, my Healer, my Deliverer, but You are my friend. Jesus said that. Father, we thank You for Your Word today. Lord, I am sharing messages that I believe will cause us to be spiritually sharp like a steak knife this year and I know Lord that there is a possibility to have friendship with you and that the blood brought us into that relationship now help us to learn to cultivate being friends with God in Jesus name amen look at your neighbor and tell him he's your friend and you're his Now, we've been talking the last few times about friends, and we have covered that it matters who your friends are. How many of you know that is true? It matters who you run with. It matters who you hang around with. It matters who you open your heart up to. It matters who you spend your time with. It matters who you call when you're in trouble. It matters who knows you better than anyone else. And then we talked about the damage that wrong friendships can bring and the blessing that good friends can bring. It is my desire to share messages in the next, well, all year long that if we will do them, our relationship with God will be better than it's ever been before and He will be glorified in our lives and not only will we be blessed, but there will be an overflow of blessing to this city and this country and this world because our spiritual lives are not anemic and not atrophied, but sharp. I want you to remember a principle. Always keep this in mind. This is real in life. When God wants to bless you, He brings a person into your life. I have never had a great blessing from God ever that He didn't bring somebody with skin on them into my life 
with a message, with an anointing, with, a, with something that, that blessed me, a teacher, a preacher, a counselor, a friend, uh, people who brought blessing. When God wants to bless you, here is his principle. He brings a person into your life. When Satan wants to destroy you, he brings a person into your life. He's the counterfeiter. He knows the way God operates, and he knows the power of a friendship. He knows the power of a relationship. He knows one of the subtlest, craftiest, most stealth-like ways he can take a Christian down is by bringing the wrong person into your life. Friends can serve many purposes, but the best friends are those who help us to mature. That's the best friends. They don't take you down. They carry you up. They encourage you. They hold you accountable for your actions. A good friend will look you in the eye, not be enamored with you, and say, what are you doing? What are you doing? Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. A real friend can say, what are you doing? You're going down the wrong path. What are you doing? And we know that it's set in love and we're not being judged. They serve as mentors when we need them. And sometimes they're simply there for us when nobody else is. As somebody said, when everybody else walks out, a real friend walks in. And they'll stand with you in the worst of times and the best of times because your relationship does not depend on what you can give them. It's a mutually exclusive and beneficial relationship where they're not taking from you, but you are friends. So if you're down and out, they're there. If you're up and out, they're there. If you're blessed, they're there. And if you're not blessed, they're still there. That's a real friend. It's interesting the way different pe uh, people view friendships. One Native American Indian tribe described a friend as someone who carries my sorrows on his back. Paul echoed that statement when he wrote, Dear brothers, if a Christian is overcome by some sin, you who are godly kick him to death. Oh, I'm sorry, I read that wrong. My eyes are playing tricks on me these days. Dear brothers, if a Christian is overcome by some sin, you who are godly, stone him. I'm just taking the glasses off. I can't, I can't read good today. You who are godly should gently and humbly help him back onto the right path, remembering the next time it might be one of you who is in the wrong. It might be you. Well, not me, Pastor Jeff. I am Superman. I don't stumble. I don't fall. I've got it all together. Watch it. Watch it. Beware lest any man thinks he stands, lest he stumbles and falls. Paul said, share each other's troubles and problems and so obey our Lord's command. Someone else said, a real friend, and I already said this, is one who walks in. Isn't it good to see a friend walk in when everybody else has walked out? Watch when you're in trouble and see who stays and mark them and stick with them like glue. Because if they stay with you in trouble, you know you've got a friend. One little boy gave this definition. A friend is a person who knows us and still likes us. And then there's the definition given by the famous philosopher, Winnie the Pooh, who said, if you live to be a hundred, if you live to be a hundred, I want to live to be a hundred minus one day, so I never have to live without you, friend. 
that got me too. I cried. I hoped I could get through that one. Friends come into our lives for different purposes. Somebody brought this out years ago, and I like it. Some come in for a reason, some for a season, and some forever. You may have a friend for a reason. There are reason people. I'm a reason person to many of you here today. A person comes into your life when you need them during a certain event. Perhaps you're coping with the death of a spouse or a child. Or perhaps you're going through a divorce or the loss of employment. They give you strength, they give you guidance, and they often become the rock upon which you build your recovery from a trauma. They are reason people. God sends reason people all the time. A reason person can be a teacher, a pastor, a neighbor, a counselor. Reason people usually serve a support purpose rather than one of relationships. When the need or the crisis is over, they generally move on, and that's okay, because it was not built on some strong interpersonal relationship, but they were reason people. I can look back in my life, and I know who the reason people were. I can think of ministers, pastors, evangelists who were reason people to me. I didn't even know some of them. I got to think of Billy Graham, so often touched my life just through a television tube but so inspired me and carried me out. He was a reason person to me. And then I got to think of Chuck Swindoll. At a very difficult time in my life, a great valley years and years ago, Chuck Swindoll, I've never even met him, but his radio ministry, I would turn it on nightly. I couldn't wait for it to come on. His messages carried me through. He was a reason person. And then others will come into your life who are friends for a season. They're seasoned people seasoned people. This group comprises the majority of our friendships. Almost every friendship you will ever make is with a seasoned person. They help you in your reach for maturity. Their friendship brings positive results to you. They share common interests and that's one of the keys of friendship, common interests. There's two Greek words for love. One of them is agape, we all know it. The other is phileo. Phileo, one of the meanings or definitions of phileo is when you have common interests. You don't usually make friends with people who you don't have something in common with. Here today is my good friend, Tony. We met years and years ago. He, I was his pastor, but we found something in common. We both liked killing each other in racquetball. So we started meeting and playing racquetball. Now we've been playing racquetball for over 10 years and that's how we met got together and one of the things one of the common interests that brought friendship together but it matters when Jesus calls us his friend because if we're the friend of Jesus then that means we got to have things in common with him we got to have things in common with him and a lot can be revealed about our spiritual life when we look at who we have things in common with Seasonal people, they share common interests such as church, sports, intellectual interests, child rearing, mothering. But life changes when you graduate from school or jobs change or you move. The seasons of your life change and seasonal friends change with them. I remember when I graduated and moved on from North Texas State, University of North Texas. There were friends. I just moved on and they moved on. I don't, I don't know what became of them, 
but while I was there, there were, they were seasonal friends. And many of you have seasonal friends right now. Most of you in here do. And it's okay. We need to get to the place where we can give our relationships to God. And if it's seasonal and one day they move on, we can say amen. Because our best friend is up there. But then there are those who become friends for a lifetime. I call them lifetimers. Lifetimers. These are friends with whom we forge a strong and unbreakable bond. Time may pass when you never exchange a word, but when they come back into your life, you pick up right where you left off and you say things like this. Wow, it's like you never left. It's just like you never left. It's like we never missed a beat. You got less hair, you're bigger, but it's like we never missed a beat. So there are reasoned people and seasoned people and there are lifetimers. And I'll tell you, if you die with two or three lifetimers in your life, you're rich. Rich. Now today I want to talk to you about the best lifetimer friend you could ever have in this world. His name is Jesus Christ. Yes, He's the Savior. Yes, He's the Healer. Yes, He's the Messiah. Yes, He's the Deliverer. Yes, He's our Provider. Yes, He is the one who is about to break open the clouds in the sky and return to this earth again. Yes, He's all those things. But my friend, He is our friend. And He wants to be our friend. He's the best friend, the best lifetimer you will ever have. Young people, cultivate a relationship with Jesus Christ. He will never leave you. He'll never forsake you. He believes in you like nobody else. He'll bring out your potential like no other human being. There is nobody like Jesus Christ. And I want to encourage you today to think this over, making Jesus Christ your top number one friend. If you do that, all your friendships will be blessed. They'll all be sanctified because nobody will be in your life that Jesus Christ cannot amen. He's your best friend. Jesus told us that we could be his friend. Listen to the words again. I no longer call you servants, for a master doesn't confide in his servants. Now you are, now you are, now you are, and you, and you, and you, now you are my friends. A friend of God. A friend of God. John was so overwhelmed, he said, Behold. What manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called sons of God. Let me just switch that a little bit. Behold, marvel, ponder. Let the full import of it smack you in the head today and move your heart today and change your life today. Behold, what manner of love the Father has given unto us that we should be called the friends of God. Ah, that's too much. Because you see, once I was an enemy. The Bible says while we were yet sinners, and one of the ideas behind sinner is the enemy of God. While I was yet an enemy of God, cursing Him, blaspheming Him, living against Him, not living according to His principles, not honoring Him, not living for Him at all, Christ died for me. That's agape. Agape means... I am loving you by choice, 
knowing you can't reciprocate at all. That's agape. So if you can't phileo somebody, agape them. I don't like them. You're not going to like everybody. Can I tell you something, church? The Bible says that we're to love one another. It didn't say like one another. It said love one another. So if you don't like somebody, don't have anything in common with somebody, you can still agape them, which means I choose to love you with the love of God, knowing you can't reciprocate. We were God's sworn enemies when Jesus died on the cross. But he did it anyway. That's agape love. It's agape love. Jesus said that when you and I became Christians, we became his friends. So what is a friend of God? What does it mean to be a friend of God? How many of you in here would like to be a friend of God? A friend of God. Well, positionally, the blood took us there. Positionally, the blood made us immediate friends of God, put us immediately in relationship with God. But experientially, experientially, we've got to walk it out. We've got to cultivate it. Positionally, I'm already in heaven. Experientially, that time's still coming. Positionally, I'm seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. But experientially, I'm right here talking to you. Positionally, I'm his friend. But experientially, how much are we his friends? Is there really such a thing as being a friend of God? Listen to James. James wrote to his fellow Christians in James 2.23. And here's what he said. And the scripture was fulfilled which says... Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him as righteousness and he was called, he was called the friend of God. And in James 4, 4, he says, don't you realize, and listen to this one carefully, church, don't you realize that making friends with God's enemies, the evil pleasures of this world, makes you an enemy of God? I say it again, that if your aim is to enjoy the evil pleasure of the unsaved world, you also cannot be a friend of God. So if I can be God's enemy by being this evil world's friend, then it must be that I can be God's friend by making the evil of this world my enemy. Let's do something. Let's just make the world... For a minute, let's just pretend that that world out there, that evil world out there that all of us move in, all of us have to live our lives in, that evil world out there, let's just pretend that it's a human being and we'll name him world. Here's world and world is standing right here. And let's remember as world stands here what John told us about him. John said, all that is in world, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the boastful pride of life that says, I don't need God, is of the world. So standing here is Mr. or Mrs. World. Then if that's true, what would world look like? Their eyes would be filled with lust, filled with envy, filled with jealousy, hatred, pride, lies, and deception. Because that's what John said is in world. Their lifestyle would be in direct opposition to everything Jesus taught. They wouldn't do one thing Jesus taught. Everything they did would grieve God. Every place they went would be places God would never lead you. World's footsteps would take you where God would never want you to go. If world were a human being. Their conversation would be filled with cursing, lies, blasphemy, and vexing talk. 
world would have a foul mouth. Their philosophy about life would be totally ungodly, filled with pride, arrogance, and an I-don't-need-God attitude. As world stands here, what do you think of world? What do you think of old world who is coming to you and saying, befriend me, have things in common with me, walk in my ways, walk where I lead you, see things the way I see them, talk the way I talk, walk the way I walk. This person named world would not be somebody we'd hang around with for five minutes if we love God. And so James says, if you're letting world seduce you to walking with him or her, doing what they do, saying what they say, thinking what they think, seeing the world through the lens of their eyes, you can't be the friend of God. And is it any wonder? How can I walk with world when world is the way world is and have Jesus over here saying, that's all right, that's okay? Because you're yoking together an ox and a donkey. If you're in the world and you say you love God, but you're living like the world and walking with world as if world were a person, God says, you can't be my friend because we're not yoked. You can't yoke two diametrically opposed creatures together. So if I want to be God's friend, here's what i got to do with Mr. or Mrs. World. Bye. I don't see what you see. Talk like you talk. Walk like you walk. Go where you go. Think like you think. I don't have your heart. I love God. There has to come a time and a place where I decide to go all the way with Jesus and say goodbye to my friend world. Come on, everybody. The Bible introduces us to several friends of God. Exodus 33, 11 says, tells us that when Moses led the Israelites out of Egypt, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks with his friend. When God was about to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, he said, shall I hide from Abraham what I am doing? Since Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I have known him, that word know means to be acquainted with, familiar with, as with a friend. And there God is saying, since I have a friendship with Abraham, when I start to do something in the world, I'm going to tell Abraham. The Bible says the secret of the Lord, the secrets of the Lord are with those who fear Him. So, so, so if, if God has somebody who is His friend, who is walking with Him and living for Him and saying goodbye to the world and making Him their friend, when He starts to do something, He tells you. Pastor Jeff, that sounds kind of strange. You mean when there's an earthquake, he's going to tell me? What it means is God is going to begin to talk to you. Listen to what Jesus, well, hey, one of the great songs of our faith echoes this truth that I'm talking about today. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. Or what about this one? And he walks with me and he talks with me. I'm not a good singer, so you've got to help me, but I want to sing it together right now. Can we do it? And he walks with me, and he talks with me. 
And he tells me I am his own. Friendship. Friendship. These songs and others like them reveal some of the great privileges we have as God's friends. Here they are. The privilege of talking with God and to know that he listens. See, if you're being a friend of the world, You've got the world's ear, and you've got the world's attention, but you don't have God's ear, and you don't have His attention. You know what you've got? You've got God's opposition. Well, I'm visiting here from radio. Didn't come to get my toes stomped on. <laughs> Folks, we've got to get back to the Word of God. The Bible is very clear that if you're a friend of the world, God is going to be opposed to you. I'd, I'd rather have a million devils against me than God. God's opposed to you. But as long as you're walking with him as his friend, then he, you can talk with him and he's going to talk with you. The privilege we've got to have a growing relationship with him, the kind that Adam and Eve had in the garden. You can sing about him or you can sing to him out of the fullness of a friendship with Jesus Christ. I see a lot of people singing about him. You can tell when they're singing about him. And he talks with me. And he walks with me. Or you can see somebody who knows him. And he walks with me. And he talks with me. You can see the difference between somebody singing about him and somebody singing to him. And what about Job? Remember Job? Job was suffering. He was in great torment. And just when he thought things couldn't get any worse, they did when his friend showed up. And they accused him of having sinned. And they said his afflictions were the result of some evil he had done. But in Job 16, 19 to 21, here's how Job came out of the hell that he was in. Here's how he got out of it. He said, even now, even now, my witness is in heaven. My advocate is on high. My intercessor is my friend. As my eyes pour out tears to God on behalf of a man, he pleads with God as a man pleads for his friend. When you've got a good friend and you say, I'm going through something, your good friend will get on their knees and pray for you because they love you and they care. Can I tell you what Jesus is doing? He's not out there flinging other stars into space. He's not out taking care of the Billy Grahams of this world only. Jesus is praying for you. The Bible says He ever lives to make intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Right now, according to Scripture, He's facing the Father about you and praying that you'll make it, that you'll pull through, that your faith will be strengthened, that you'll be provided for, that you won't trip and won't stumble. And if you do, you'll get back up. He's praying for you. Job's earthly friends were not really friends at all, but Job knew there was somebody in heaven interceding for him, pleading for him, and he knew whoever he was, that that somebody was his friend. Picture Jesus as your friend. He hurts when you hurt. He rejoices when you rejoice. He feels your pain. He's concerned about you. He's pulling for you. He is pouring His Spirit out on you. He is asking God that you will fulfill all the destiny of God for your life. Jesus is your best lifelong friend. Paul told us the very same thing. 
In Romans 8, 34, he said, Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Earthly friends will. They will sometimes hurt you, betray you, belittle you, walk away from you. And that's so that you can see the weakness and the frailty and the temporariness of earthly friends so that you'll look up and say, I've got one true friend who never will walk out on me, never will turn his back on me, always does believe the best of me, always does have my best interest in his mind. His name is Jesus. And he ever lives to be my lawyer and my friend and my intercessor. Now, can you see that Jesus places a high priority on our friendship? Can you? He wants us to be his friend, his friend, his friend. He wants us to spend time with him like a friend, talk to him like a friend, share our burdens, our hopes, our dreams, our problems, our difficulties with him just like we would a friend. David said, pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. It's like I always tell you, there's two things God never says, oops, and well, I'll be. When you tell him something about your hopes, your dreams, your difficulties, you, your struggles, God never sits up there and says, oh, no. Did you hear that, Gabriel? What will we do? Michael, you may have to go down and take care of that person there. No, no, no. God knows what you're going to say before you say it. He knows your struggles before you tell him. God knows the end from the beginning. God is the Alpha and the Omega. He's the all-seeing, all-powerful, almighty God. He knows already all of your struggles and all of your pain. So what do we do then as Jesus' friends? How do you cultivate a friendship with God? It's real easy, and I'm going to give you two answers. First one is, He wants us to obey Him. He wants us to obey Him. John 15, 14 says, You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. If you do what I command you, no longer do I call you servants, but I have called you friends. There is going to be a group of people, the Bible says, at the judgment seat of Christ, at the great white throne judgment at the end of the world, who God is going to call before him. And he's going to say, depart from me, you that work iniquity. And they're immediately going to begin to yell and scream. But didn't we do all these mighty works in your name? We cast out devils in your name. We heal the sick in your name. We did all these things in your name. But strangely and oddly and stunningly, Jesus says to them, depart from me. Here's why. I never knew you. So there are going to be people using the name of Jesus, using it for their own gain, using it for their own fame, using it for their own selfish ends. But they don't know Him. They don't know Him. The friends of Jesus can be spotted and known by one thing, if they're obeying Him. The one who obeys me is the one who loves me, and because he loves me, my Father will love him, and I will too, and I will reveal myself to him. I'll reveal myself to the person who is obeying me. He who obeys me is going to be on an inside track. He who obeys me is going to progressively come to know me more and more and more in the way that you know you're a child of God. And I'm not talking about sinless perfection. We all make mistakes. We all stumble and fall. James said we all stumble and fall in many ways. 
I'm not talking about that, but the child of God, the real child of God, the true child of God will have something within them that wants to obey the Lord Jesus Christ and live the way He has told us to live, clearly revealed in His Word. The real child of God will have a care about that. And this is the language of friendship. This is good news. Jesus said, the deeper a friendship goes, the more you come to know about your friend. And He's saying, friendship with God precedes revelation from God. If I want to know God's will for my life, I just become His friend. Now I know this is not Plato, and this is not Socrates, and it's not Aristotle. It's not some complex philosophical system. It's just pray and obey. Well, what does that mean, Pastor Jeff? He's going to reveal himself to me. What does that mean? What will he show me? It means as you walk in obedience to the Lord, in obedience to the Lord, the presence of God begins to manifest itself in your life. As you obey the Lord, that opens the door for his presence, his voice, his guidance, his love, his peace. This is why some believers don't have any peace. And they wonder where the presence has gone. Because somewhere there's disobedience. Now again, I'm not talking about being perfect. I'm talking about obeying the best you know how, the light and the truth that God has given you in His Word. For instance, forgiving each other. Oh, help me, Jesus. I'm not a good forgiver. I'm Texan. I want to whoop them and then repent. It's a good thing I'm not God. There'd be no Christians in Fort Worth. Not many. They'd all be vapor. And good thing is, if they were God, I wouldn't be here either. I have a sister. I have three sisters and, and my oldest sister. She and I had a, a heavy disagreement in around 95. And, of course, in, in my mind, it was all her. She needed to repent. You know that feeling. You've had people do that to you. I know you've never done that, but you've had people do that to you. She needed to repent. And I called my mother, said she needs to repent. And my other two sisters that were interceding for she and I to get it together, and it only got worse. I sent her a, a letter filled with the anointing and power of God. I thought. I asked God to bless it. I don't think that it was blessed even past the mailbox, but I believe that it was. And, and she got this letter, and shazam, the letter made it even worse. Because the letter was, you need to apologize. You need to make it right. And so the wedge between she and I got worse and worse and worse until I had to be honest. Within about three years, yeah, three years, because this whole time I had peace. I, I, it's her. But there was a wedge between us. Now listen, even if somebody does something wrong, but there is a wedge that comes between the relationship and you are aware of a resentment growing inside of you. It doesn't matter what they did. Now it's an issue of you have to get it right. Reconciliation takes two, and that's what I was waiting for. But forgiveness only takes one. 
Reconciliation takes two. If you're going to reconcile with somebody, then two of you have got to agree to forgive and get back together. But you can forgive somebody if they want to be stubborn and not reconcile at all. And so what it came down to was God was saying, Jeff, this has now crossed a line because inside of you there is bitterness and some resentment against your flesh and blood sister. And you wrote a book on this. <laughs> be careful what you write books on. So he said, I want you to drive to Houston and I want you to go to her house. And I want you to make it right. But if I go there, that's what she should have done. She should have come here. But now I'm up against this. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. No matter what anybody around you is doing, you will keep my commandments. And you will clear the air because you can't live without relationship that is active and flowing and real with God. Because you're a child of God. So I'm aware it's cutting my relationship off with Him. There's no human being on earth worth losing your relationship with God. And so I went to her. Went to her house. I, I hemmed and hawed for hours. And then I finally said, hey, can we talk? Sure. And I said, you know, I've had something in my heart. And I began to talk to her. And before I knew it, something happened in that room. And me and my sister got reconciled. And, and you know what? Now I've been in several family functions, whereas before I wouldn't have gone if she'd have been there. And she wouldn't have gone if I'd have been there. So we always ask through the family, is he going to be there? Is she going to be there? And then righteously, self-righteously, with a halo over my head, I would say, well, then, bless God, I don't think I need to be there because she needs to hear God. Some of you are just, wow, I've just never heard of such a thing. And so the times, we were just, I just did this wedding a few Sundays ago. Judy was there. And she sat next to me. We talked, we hugged, and we talked some more. And you know what I realized? What a wonderful person. What a neat woman who I didn't talk to for almost five years because I was right. Some of you are thinking, man, you know, I wish I'd have walked out about 10 minutes ago because there's somebody in my life that you, know, you ought to call them. So that's just an example. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And if you keep my commandments, and when I drove away from her house, I felt the presence of God. What was he doing? Revealing himself to me. Why? Because I was walking in obedience. Praise God. <laughs> Hallelujah, Pastor Jeff. That's a great message. I really appreciate that. That's a great big PTL. Let me just close with this. Stephen Dolly Jr. said, A man who wants to do something right will find a way. A man who doesn't will find an excuse. If I'm really Jesus' friend, I'll find a way to bring my life into line with his word. I will never be satisfied with anything less. Because if I want an excuse, the devil will give me 20 in 10 minutes. Now, what's the second thing I'm going to close with this? Jesus said, I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. Here's my commandment to you. If you want to obey me, love each other as I have loved you. Love one another. Why in the world would he stress that?
Why is this phrase repeatedly stressed throughout the New Testament? Because James said loving one another is the royal law of the kingdom of God. It's the royal law. You would think that if I'm Jesus' friend, that would come naturally to me, but it does not come naturally to you or to me. We are selfish by nature. We are, we are narcissistic by nature. We are not loving by nature. Loving one another doesn't mean we can't disagree on things. It doesn't mean that we're not going to get upset with one another sometimes. It doesn't mean that we don't confront and discipline somebody who's in sin. But what it does mean is that because we are Jesus' friend, we want to see one another succeed, walk with God, do well, bear fruit. We rejoice with those that rejoice and weep with those that weep. And Jesus said, love one another. I'm going to close with this story. Last night, Kathy was on the phone. And I walked in there. I could hear her. She, I knew she was talking to another woman. How many of you guys know you can tell when your wife's talking to a woman? Because it's, not, it's unlike anything a man would ever do. Oh, you don't mean it, girl. Come on, girl. Oh, oh is that and all the, So I went and I sat down next to her. And I don't know, somebody that she used to work with, and they're telling her that they got a new boyfriend. Oh, come on, girl, you didn't already in two weeks. You've got a new boyfriend. She moved to some other state, this girl. Oh, come on, you got a new boyfriend all over. God's really blessing you. And I could hear the other girl. I'm way across the room. I can still hear the chatter coming over the phone. Oh, I can Boyfriend. And at first I thought, silly, silly. But then it occurred to me, I'm so happy. When Kathy is happy, I mean, when I can tell Kathy's happy, I just sat back and said, it sounds silly to me. I can just see me talking to Tony. Tony, you're not, you don't mean it. Come on, boy. Come on. But I thought, it sounds silly, but, 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 see, I love her. And she's a sister in Christ on top of that. So when she's happy, I'm happy. If mama ain't happy, I ain't happy. How many of you guys have learned that little key? If mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. You better make mama happy. And the Bible says you should. Come on, ladies. You ought to amen me better than that. I'm rooting for you here. And so I thought, I'm happy when she's happy, and the reason I'm happy when she's happy is because Jesus said that's the way we ought to be, not just with our spouses, but with the church. Love one another even as I have loved you, and obey me. And if you do that, you're my friend. And you're going to have me talking to you, walking with you, sharing secrets with you, anointing you, guiding you, blessing you, saying, this is the way, walk ye in it. The heavens no longer will be brass. God will be there because he reveals himself to those who are his friends. Can we stand together today? Let's just go to him in prayer. And I want to pray a blessing on you. It is my heart's desire as your pastor that Jesus would be your friend, that you'd be his friend, that you'll obey him, walk in love towards one another, and see if your spiritual life doesn't accelerate through obedience. Father, thank you that we can be a friend of God. 
And Lord, we say we love you, and Lord, we want to do our best to show it by obeying your commandments. I want you, church, to take a minute. If there's anything in your life that needs to get put under the blood, take this time in church to do it. This is your church. This is your moment. We've come here today to touch God and be touched by God. So just make it right. Take a minute. Say, Lord, here's this. Here's that. Anything. say, Pastor, I needed this today. I want you to raise your hand and just say, Lord, I receive the blessing of friendship with God. I receive it. Young people, make Jesus your best friend in high school and junior high. Make Jesus your best friend. 